Let us worship with our eyes and ears and fingertips. Let us love the world through our heart and mind and body. We feed our eyes upon the mystery and revelation in the faces of our brothers and sisters. Our ears feast upon their stories. We seek to know the wistfulness of the very young and the very old. We seek to understand the shyness behind arrogance, the fear behind pride, the tenderness behind clumsy strength, and the anguish behind cruelty. All life flows into a great common life if we will only open our hearts to our companions. Let us worship, not in bowing down, not with closed eyes and stopped ears. Let us worship with opening all the windows of our beings with the full outstretching of our spirits. Life comes with singing and laughter, with tears and confiding, with a rising wave too great to be held in the mind and heart and body to those who have fallen in love with life. Let us worship and let us learn to love. Windows give us views into other worlds. And when we open the window, the love can fly in. Today, we'll also talk about mirrors, finding your reflection in a story. Have you ever read a book where you're meeting a character and you think, oh my gosh, that person is exactly like me? Or have you ever watched a movie and thought, that's my life. I've had an experience just like that. Or seen a character in a video game where you think, oh, those are my people. And maybe you identified with everything about a character. Or maybe you just saw one little part of a character that you had in common, but you still felt seen. I thought I was the only one who likes to eat off all the frosting before I eat the cake. All of those experiences can be described as mirrors, finding yourself and your life experiences reflected in a story. And it's important and it's powerful when that happens. It helps you to feel like you matter and you belong. And it might have given you a sense of possibility People like me can do that. I'm going to ask all of you to use the chat box. Think of any time in any story, a book, a comic, a movie, a TV show, a video game, where you saw yourself reflected, where you recognized yourself in another character. It could be something really important about your core identity that you saw reflected, or it could just be a little thing about you that when you saw it on the screen or on the page helped you feel more normal helped you feel more connected to other people. Type just a brief note into chat, starting now. Don't feel like you have to tell this whole story, but here are just a few examples I've heard shared. It was the opening episode of Glee where Rachel was geeking out about her favorite Broadway musical numbers, or Hermione Granger was my hero when she used the time turner so she could go back and take more classes and read more books. Or in the movie Hook, I saw the character Rufio, the chief of the Lost Boys, he was a brown kid, brown like me. It was the first time I'd ever seen that in a movie. Or in Always Be My Maybe, the scene where all the Asian kids are at a birthday party and when they come in from the backyard, they all take off their shoes and line them up by the door. That was what it was like at every party I went to as a kid. I want you to have a couple minutes to think of ideas of where you felt seen in, a, in literature or movies and put those into the chat. And while you do that, we're gonna show you a few videos. These videos feature people who have identities that are sometimes marginalized and who may have had a hard time feeling that they belong. And when they were able to find a mirror, a reflection in a story that made things easier for them.
Our reading today is from On Seeing Yourself in Literature by Mandy Shunara, who describes herself as half Southern redneck, half Palestinian. I'm in several book clubs, and I've noticed something when members like a novel. They'll say about the characters, I could really relate when they... When so-and-so did X, it reminded me of myself when... Hmm, when that happened, I responded the exact same way she did. Consequently, when someone doesn't like the book, they'll say things like, I just don't get why he did that. Who does that? I just couldn't relate to her at all. I just don't understand them. Sounds familiar, right? Because so much of the way we contextualize books and our feelings about them relates to ourselves. It's much easier to like characters that remind us of ourselves and, or our motivations our value systems, struggles and backgrounds similar to ours. The ability to see yourself in books is a beautiful thing. And I hope every reader has the experience of feeling understood on a deep level through reading. While I wish that for everyone, it's much easier if you're white, straight and able-bodied. When you're straight, white and able-bodied, you can see yourself in hundreds of thousands of books in virtually every imaginable genre. People of color, LGBTQIA people, and disabled people can't say the same. The ability to see yourself in books, whether as you are in reality or in an aspirational sense, is a privilege, one readily available to some, but not all. It is getting better thanks to the We Need Diverse Books movement and a loud and growing group of readers, both with and without marginalized identities. However, the shift towards equality isn't happening fast enough. So it'll be a long time before publishers reaches, publishing reaches parity. To be clear, it's not wrong to see yourself in books, but it's important to be mindful that not everyone is able to do that or if a person with marginalized identities can see themselves in a handful of books, it's possible they could power read those books and be out of options before more are published. That's never going to be a problem that straight, white, able-bodied people have. That's also why it's important to read books by and about people who aren't like us. It's more, it's the only non-offensive opportunity to walk around in the shoes of a person with one or more marginalized identities and experience life through their eyes. Sometimes pushing ourselves out of our reading comfort zones takes a little more time and effort and research, but it's so worth it. If you're not already doing so, I hope you'll join me. Today we're talking about mirrors and windows in the media we consume, whether in books, movies, or whatever. Our reading described mirrors, the ability to see yourselves and be understood at a deep level. And windows, it's important to read books by and for, by and about people who aren't like us. It's the only non-offensive opportunity to walk around in the shoes of another person and experience life through their eyes. When anyone, especially a person with a marginalized identity, tells their authentic story, they are inviting us in to witness their lives and doing so can cultivate respect for their inherent worth and dignity. 
Let me share where I learned the idea of mirrors and windows. I teach classes for parents and children together. I teach toddlers, preschoolers, and early elementary kids. And side by side, I teach their caregivers about parenting. In the field of early childhood education, for mirrors, we talk about the importance of children seeing themselves reflected in the classroom. Our dolls have a range of skin colors. The plastic food in our toy kitchens includes food from all the cultures represented in our families. And in the stories we read, we wanna make sure all children can find characters who look like them and have life experiences like theirs. These mirrors create a sense of self-worth, value, and belonging. We also offer the children windows into other experiences, introducing the children to all the beauty of our diverse world. It's great that we're talking about this in children's education. I wanna also talk about representation in the media adults consume, about how important it is that all people can find mirrors and how those mirrors have not been available to many people. The mirrors are missing because most stories in our popular media are written by people who are white, cis, straight, middle-class, Protestant, educated, able-bodied, and male. Their stories are the stories that are bought by publishers and producers because those are the stories they believe the audience will buy. If diverse creators come in with more diverse stories, they're told, your story won't sell. I mean, it might have some niche appeal, but most people just don't want to read stories like that. But when those folks' stories are not told, it means that everyone else is missing windows into those worlds. Windows that could broaden our perspectives, enrich our worldviews and increase our empathy for others and our desire for justice for all. We have the ability to change the world, not just through political votes, but also through our economic votes. If each of us were to choose to read and watch more diverse stories and elevate them into the broader conversation, we could prove there is a market for these stories. This can be part of our social justice activism. And in doing so, we'll bring riches into our lives as we peer through windows into the life experiences that are different from our own. Today, I'm talking about all sorts of identities. I don't just mean racial and ethnic diversity. I'm also talking about stories of people of all religions, all abilities, health and mental health status, neurotypical and neurodiverse, all genders, all sexual orientations and family compositions, differing economic status, rural and urban, liberal and conservative, military, agriculture, gig economy, and much more. No matter what our identities, we deserve to find mirrors and we benefit by peering through windows. In the Time for All Ages, I asked you where you found your mirrors and we watched videos of diverse folks sharing their mirrors. There are so many more quotes I wanted to share about a 25 year old with bipolar disorder who recently saw herself on screen for the first time in Modern Love about an Indian American Muslim who first saw herself in a book at age 37, when reading Love, Hate, and Other Filters, a teen who read The House on Mango Street again and again and again because it was the only thing that captured her experience of not being Dominican enough and not being American enough. The adult who remembers loving Sesame Street because Lisa and Maria Delgado sounded like her parents. I'll let Eric Grohlman summarize this. To not only see LGBT people like me, but to see them loved by others or in love is emotionally overwhelming because these images are new to me. I am disappointed, however, that I have to feel such joy just to see someone who looks like me, a joy that whites, men, heterosexuals, and other privileged groups do not experience because their representation is the norm. Let's take a look at a few statistics. First, we'll look at racial diversity in children's books. 
you can see here that American Indian, Latinx, and Asian children have little tiny mirrors. White kids are surrounded by mirrors. Now, due to advocacy, over the next few years, we saw some exciting improvements. Here, 50% of main characters were white, which lines up perfectly with the fact that 50% of US children are white. And the numbers for American Indians, Asian Pacific, and African American are closer to parity. The biggest problem here, although 20%, 26% of US children are Latinx, only 5% of main characters in the books they read are. And 27% of the characters are animals, trucks, and crayons. So let's look at gender representation in children's books. Main characters are twice as likely to be male. And for all characters, there are three males for every two females. Disability in children's books. 13% of US, citizens, US students receive special education services for physical and learning disabilities. But in recent books, only 3% had a disabled main char character at all, and only 0.3% were main characters. Is it better in media aimed at adults? Well, our population is about 50% women, right? But in movies, women only have one third of leading roles. In race, non-whites make up about 40% of our population, but only 19% of lead characters. It's better than it was a few years ago, but there's a long ways to go. Tonight is the Academy Awards, and a few years ago, there was the big movement about Oscars so white, and there have been improvements in both the movies that are being made and the ones that are being recognized since then, but there's still a long ways to go. And it's not even just in main characters in films, it's also all characters. Whites are still overrepresented. So in the United States, 60% of adults are white, but in movies, 77% of characters are white. And disability in film, the CDC reports that amongst Americans of all ages, 26% have some form of disability. But in United States films, only 2.7% of characters with speaking parts have a disability. Women in general are underrepresented, but especially lesbian and bisexual females who didn't even appear in 91 out of the top 100 films. So the lack of diverse characters also means a lack of opportunities for diverse actors. If you're black, like Octavia Spencer, you get to play a whole lot of nurses. And if you're an older Asian woman, you play doctors and judges and moms. And what if you're a Muslim American actor? You can make a good living playing terrorists. And that's not even addressing the issues of blackface and yellowface and straight cis actors playing LGBT roles or the fact that disabled characters are played by able-bodied actors. In Glee, this character was in a wheelchair, but the actor was able-bodied. So in one fantasy sequence, he jumped up out of his chair and led a dance number. Not only is diversity underrepresented on screen behind the camera, there are huge dispar disparities. The vast majority of film directors are male. Writers' rooms are better, but there's still just one woman for every six men amongst writers. It's also true on TV. Where 40% of Americans are people of color, only 9% of TV shows were created by a person of color. And why is that? It's because almost all the people who decide what movies and shows get made are white. Thus, when characters from underrepresented groups do actually appear in movies, they appear in certain stereotyped ways and they generally serve the same Hollywood tropes. On the rare occasions a disabled character appears, it's either a tragedy story or it's what the disability community calls inspiration porn 
where the character overcomes their disability. We rarely see characters who just happen to be disabled, but that's not their whole story. A black woman wrote, I've seen people who look like me as the housekeeper, a teen mother somewhere in the inner city, a child soldier, a slave. A South Asian American wrote, in Bend It Like Beckham, I saw for the first time a brown girl like me. Jess wasn't just the nerdy best friend, the submissive shy girl or the exotic temptress, which are all the common tropes for Asian women. She was the main character, a girl with many layers and quirks. An Asian American author wrote, I watched a lot of TV as a kid. Growing pains, who's the boss, family ties, Mr. Belvedere. I watched attractive white people living in huge houses and eating a lot of pancakes. There were a few black people, Arnold and Willis, Theo and Rudy, no Latinos, no LGBTQ. America, according to my television, was a country by, of, and for white people. Whenever I actually did see an Asian, all my family would be excited for about 10 seconds, which was about how long it took to realize that the Asian character was either doing Kung Fu, delivering food, portrayed in a way that was kind of offensive, preceded or followed by a gong sound, or all of the above. As mirrors, these stereotypes do damage. If you're a Black, Asian, or Latinx person who only sees those distorted reflections, you may wonder if that's all that's expected of you in our society. And as supposed windows, those stereotypes are harmful. A 2011 study found that Black males are usually portrayed negatively or limited to a few positive stereotypes are just missing. Audiences who have little exposure to Black men in their real life think that the media representations show the real world. And that leads to less attention from doctors, harsher sentencing by judges, lower likelihood of being hired by, for a job or admitted to school, lower odds of getting loans and higher likelihood of being shot by police. Michael Morgan, who studies media impact says, entertainment provides the seeds for racism and sexism because we've seen a thousand images showing us that Latinos are violent and Asians are invisible and blacks are this and women are that. And so it's easy to exploit that because it's a knee jerk reaction. People think, oh yeah, yeah, of course they're like that. I knew that, I've seen that on TV. On the other hand, when people saw, sorry, if the show included nuanced storylines with sympathetic portrayals, those storylines could motivate viewers to take real life action to support the rights of people who have that identity, such as when immigration storylines were covered and viewers then attended community events or rallies signed petitions on immigrant rights. So limited stereotypes reinforce discrimination and prejudice, but nuanced stereotypes can inspire empathy and compassion and the desire to take action for justice. So we need fewer stereotypes and we need more authentic stories. We also just need more stories, more representation period. As the video at the start of the service said, there is danger in a single story. For example, published representations of the autistic experience that are written by actually autistic authors are very rare. And even if one piece is excellent, a common phrase of neurodiversity activists is, if you've met on, uh, one autistic person, you've met one autistic person. About 20 years ago, a book called The Spirit Catches You When You Fall Down came out and it had a lot of really important things to say about the need for cultural sensitivity in the healthcare setting. But then it got used in so many trainings across the country for all healthcare workers, it's actually started to get overgeneralized. And people of Asian descent were frustrated because they said that just because a nurse read one book about Hmong beliefs 
they think they understand all Asian people. Siba Blay wrote that there's an idea that Uzo Aduba can be the inspiration for all dark-skinned Black actresses, and Shonda Rhimeson is a beacon of hope for Black women TV bosses. In reality, no one Black woman can, can encompass the entire Black experience. That's why more representation, more complex portrayals of all identities are needed. The Black female experience is not just one thing. Either is the queer experience, the Muslim experience, or the experience of having a disability. We need access to many stories about diverse and identities and intersections of identities, ideally all created by people who have those identities and can create authentic, deeply layered portrayals of characters living full diverse lives. So why are there so few of those stories? Again, it's because when people of color, queer folks, disabled folks, and so on, come in to do their pictures, publishers and studio execs say, you know, it sounds like a great story, it's just too niche. These producers talk a lot about what the market will bear. The assumption is that everyone will watch movies about white folks. But when there's a movie with a black cast, a whole lot of folks look at it and think, oh, that's not for me. And I admit, I've been guilty of that over year the years, right? A picture comes up of an all black cast in a movie and I think that movie, that's not for me, right? So I'm working right, hard right now to change that knee-jerk response and instead actively seeking out those niche pieces. But until the buying public shows that there's a demand for queer-centric media, for media about black lives, for media about actually autistic people, the gatekeepers will keep selling the same stories. So I can speak to this personally as a creator. I co-author a couple of books and we try to be as inclusive as possible. For example, we use gender neutral language about pregnant person rather than pregnant woman. And we try to include photographs of all sorts of diverse people throughout the book. But on the cover of our book, on every edition so far, a white woman. And yes, the authors pitched hard for more inclusive covers, but the cover design is not in our control. It is totally the domain of the publisher. And the publisher told us these were the images with the broadest market appeal. Here's the irony, our other book, which is written at a sixth grade reading level versus 12th grade reading level. Here's what those covers look like. Yeah, the publisher figured the low literacy book would appeal to people of color. So this year, I'm sorry, on those books, I was the new author on a team with an existing agreement. So there was only so much I could push. And in order to get our book with that revolutionary gender inclusive language out there, I had to live with the cover art. This year, I was offered the opportunity to write a parenting book. And the proposed title included the word mom. I suggested to the publishers that if we changed the title to parent, we would have broader appeal and be more inclusive. The publishers ended up choosing a different author. Now, maybe that's just because they like the other person's writing better. And when this book comes out, I don't know if the title will say mom or parent, but I'm glad it, I advocated that it should stay parent because books about raising children should be inclusive. So I'm speaking about mirrors and windows today, not just because our lives would be enhanced by peering through more windows, but because representation is a social justice issue. And as Unitarian Universalists who speak of the inherent worth and dignity of every person and the free and responsible for truth, search for truth, I believe that choosing windows is a spiritual practice. So where can we start? I've started by taking just a moment. When I'm choosing my next book or my next movie, instead of just choosing a mirror, I look at what windows are available. So when Netflix or YouTube or Amazon algorithms show me that, hey, if you like that, here's 10 more things you might like, I look and I choose the one that will most broaden my horizons. You can also look for search, you can also search for lists of recommendations. 
online, there are plenty of recommendations for books about any different identity you want to learn more about. And I wrote a blog post that we're going to give you a link to in chat right now. And in that, I include links to lots of lists of recommendations. I also include information on criteria to help you evaluate what you read and watch. You may have heard of the Bechtel test for representation of women, which asks questions like, do the women talk about something other than a man? There are others like the Fry's test, which asks, is the disability resolved by either curing it or killing the character? You would think those criteria wouldn't be hard to meet, but a lot of media fails at them. Many of the media recommendations you hear are about serious literary or cinematic works. And I have to confess, I don't watch a lot of serious literary and cinematic works. I hear about documentaries or dramas like 13th, I Am Not Your Negro, The Invisible War and How to Survive a Plague. And I put them on my watch list because I know that I would learn important things by watching them and by taking in the full pain of those experiences. And sometimes when I have the emotional reserves, I take one on. But here's the thing. Most of my media consumption is watching rom-coms and sitcoms during my morning workout, or watching sci-fi kids movies and British comedies with Peter and Ben after a long day of work and school. My reading is mostly fluffy genre fiction for 15 minutes before bedtime. Okay, the spaces in my life right now aren't the space for that heavy emotional work. But even the mist of lightweight escapes, I can still choose windows. I'm gonna give a few examples of shows I've watched recently, and I'm not saying these are the most amazing media ever, or promising that they will perfectly capture the experience of any diverse person, but they are times when I made the simple choice of window, not mirror. So in the morning as I'm working out, I might watch Grace and Frankie. It's a great sitcom that featured characters in their 70s who are actually played by actors in the 70s, having experiences that people in their 70s have. Or this week, I watched The Mole Agent, an Academy Award nominated documentary that let me spend some time with elderly folks in a nursing home in Chile. I might watch Pose, which has some great drag queen shows, and it talks about the experience of trans people of color, where the actors are actual trans people of color, and so are the writers. Or This Is Us is a mainstream NBC drama which includes stories about transracial adoption and being Black in America, and it has Black writers. Recently, I watched Worn Stories. It's a goofy documentary about the clothes that people wear, which ironically gave me into insight into nudists. And in December, when I, when I went on a Christmas movie binge, I intentionally dug up all of the diverse Christmas movies I could find under the giant pile of Christmas movies about straight white people in small towns in Connecticut. I don't always do research to see who the writers and creators are of everything I read and watch, but you can always tell. If it was written by mainstream folks, there's broad strokes and stereotypes. If it's written by somebody who actually has that identity, there will be tiny details that give it depth. Like in Minari, where the Korean mother cleans her child's ears with a metal tool. Or on Kim's Convenience, where the competitiveness of the church potluck at Korean church. Now, Kim's Convenience also had a lot of stereotypes because the Korean Canadian creators figured that that humor would sell to a mainstream audience. So if we look through any one window into any identity, any one window is never enough. But the more times I step into other worlds, the more I start to discern real stories from the stereotypes. I am not holding myself up as a perfect example of doing the hardest work of examining systematic oppression. I get that I have the privilege to opt out of that on the days that feels too hard. But I'm taking baby steps to broaden my worldview. At last week's Earth Day service, we talked about steps we could do to make the world better. Some of us take giant steps, some of us take baby steps, but they add up. 
I'll also note that advocates for media diversity say things like, there is more to being black than slavery and civil rights. And the queer community has stories to tell that don't end with characters dying of AIDS or homophobic violence. Disability advocates say, you know what? I just want a movie where there's a person that doesn't miraculously overcome their disability. They just figure out how to have a perfectly fine life as an accountant who hangs out with their friends on the weekend. So I'm gonna cast my votes for the YA romance novel that features first-generation Vietnamese Americans and is written by one. And the post-apocalyptic sci-fi novel with an autistic lead written by an autistic person. And that chick lit about the Muslim Pakistani American woman dating an Indian man written by someone who shares that identity. And I also cast my vote for a book that happens to provide for me a mirror that I've never seen in the media before. That of a teen romance where their lead just happens to be an amputee who chooses not to wear a prosthesis, written by someone who looks like me. Um, mirrors matter. It's a comforting relief to find stories like ours out in the world. Mirrors especially matter to those who often feel as though they don't belong in their world. We can help ensure more mirrors are available by creating a market for as many diverse stories as possible. And in doing so, we open up our windows to understanding diverse life experiences. I invite you to join me in opening more windows in the media choices you make. When we tell our story